All right, you ready for this? Ready. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. And once again, if this is your first time here, welcome. Great to have you. We've got a uh, really great discussion for you today centered around ambulatory surgical centers. Actually, Chris Newmarker had this discussion. He spoke with Laura Rector. Laura Rector is the Vice President of Ambulatory Surgery Centers at Smith & Nephew. And they talked a great deal about how Smith & Nephew is approaching the informational or data aspect of ortho, specifically, how are they using data and using devices to help people recover faster? We've talked a great deal about smart implants, about sensors. Chris has done some great coverage there. This time around, we're going to talk about how Smith & Nephew is really going after the ambulatory surgery center business. So uh, it was great to have Laura Rector on the show. We're also going to have Kayla Crumman. Kayla, of course, is managing director of Truist Securities. She's one of our uh, podcast faves. And she's come back to talk about really the two big stories of the week. And you'll hear them both on uh, Newmarkers Newsmakers. The first involving Mike Coyle's decision to step down as CEO of iRhythm which uh, surprised many, including me. And the second including, or the second being Medtronic's uh, announcement that it would no longer sell its hardware HVAD uh, for, for many unfortunate reasons. And uh, we're going to get into uh, into why in the New Markers Newsmakers, and we'll also bring Kayla separately into uh, into those two items. I'll speak with Kayla first about uh, Mike Coyle and then we'll talk about Medtronic's uh, finding Medtronic finding it necessary to uh, to pull its HVAD off the shelf. So uh, really big stories for the medtech industry. So we wanted to focus a little more attention on those in our new marketers, newsmakers. So uh, it's a great episode. Great to have you here. And uh, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, you can do that on Apple, Spotify, Google. Uh, Amazon, we're out there. And before we start this week's episode, I want to remind you that our new episode of Medtronic Talks, our sister publication, dropped on Wednesday. It features Bob White. Bob, of course, is the executive vice president and head of the medical surgical portfolio. He's uh, president of the medical surgical portfolio, executive vice president at Medtronic. And I spoke with Bob, obviously, about that business, but also about his work in blending Covidian and Medtronic together after that uh, major merger a few years ago. So you can find that podcast on devicetalks.com. And like this podcast, you can also find it on all those podcast channels, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, we're out there. So uh, please do check that out as well. Now it's time to bring in my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker the executive editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Oh, good. And I just heard the uh, Zoom recording saying that, you know, we're... We this are podcast being, is being recorded, Chris. It's live, man. Well, it's not really live. <laughs> it's being recorded. Like, here we are. Oh, man. Happy Thursday. Yes, we're doing this on a Thursday. We'll see what our energy level is on a Thursday afternoon. It is through the roof. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got uh, your your new markers, newsmakers. I hope uh, I hope it keeps. I hope it doesn't uh, get inundated with more news tomorrow because this has been a crazy, crazy news week. It has been a crazy uh, news week. It's been a crazy news day. Yeah, it's just uh, the the med tech news gods are 
just showering the news down right now. So we'll, uh, exactly. So uh, we'll go through the new markers, newsmakers. We brought in uh, a heavy hitter, Kayla Crum of Truist, to comment on uh, on our last two new markers, newsmakers. Yes. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll it'll be less you and yeah. I going or uh, in more actual insight. So uh, yes, happy to. Yeah, we're having a real expert on versus <laughs> two dudes who write about med tech. Two tap dancing go, dudes trying I to wonder what this is all about. Mm, could be <laughs> yes. good. Could be bad. All right, let's go into time will tell. It's always <laughs> time the, will tell. That's always the fallback. Time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> number five on the new markers newsmakers. Well, number five on the list is uh, this is a surprise. FDA wants more money. We all want more money, Chris, yeah. but what are they going to do with more money? Uh, they, they want more power. Yeah. <laughs> well, they want money and power. They've been, the doing, a they they've been, been doing, doing a lot lately. They've been doing a lot. And, yeah. uh, and from what I've heard from people inside the industry, I mean, they've, uh, they, they've been getting, you know, some credit for, you know, being a lot more easier to work with. I mean, definitely still regulating, trying to make sure our devices are safe and effective, but you know, they, I've, I mean, I don't know. You've heard, have you heard that the same type of input that FDA is, isn't uh, is easier to work with now for people in the yeah, industry? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, if anyone listened to the podcast last week, and we referenced it earlier as well, last week as well, Josh Macauer, who did a survey of the FDA back in 2010 and basically built the case for where the FDA was falling short and holding back innovation and kind of helped foster some change. It was an interesting story as to how he decided to do it. And he just, just he, he was meeting with the FDA. He was offering the complaints uh, that a lot of others in the industry yeah. were. And finally, the FDA rep was like, well, you know what? I'm tired of hearing your complaints. Just show me data. If the data matches what you're saying, we'll see what we can do about it. And uh, he did a survey, surveyed a couple hundred companies, brought the data, an internal survey of the FDA kind of confirmed it. So yeah. uh, it has been, he, in fact, we'll, we'll talk, we've talked about the, the surveys being redone by a group of the UCLA and Josh's thinks it's a great idea, but he says the real survey that needs to be done is with reimbursement. Yeah. And we've talked about this ad nauseum, but the FDA has been, uh, I think, a better partner for sure. Yeah, now it's like kind of the issue of like trying to get it paid for. So that's that's kind of where the, the companies are wrestling. But, you know, some of the things they're asking for in their budget request, I mean, I, I, I mean, at least at first glance, look like things that people in the industry would uh, would. would potentially like i mean they want they want an extra 21.6 million dollars for a new resilient supply chain chain and shortages program that's gonna like you know kind of uh you know get involved with boosting our supply chain resilience you know uh inside this country so that we don't uh realize we uh don't we have uh, shortages of things you know next time we have a huge health emergency in this country which is hopefully when uh i'm uh playing bingo in a in a nursing home but i mean <laughs> and killing it and killing it man <laughs> i i won the quilt Woo! <laughs> damn it new marker got the g that he needed well, i remember uh, the last pandemic in 2020 <laughs> but you know we were it's interesting now that we're talking about this they want uh they're asking for so they have a 6.5 billion dollar budget right. they're asking for an additional 600 and 76 million. Yeah, give or which, take. Yeah. If you talk about infrastructure, we're talking about infrastructure, yeah. we're talking about investment in, in, in states pre post COVID. What industry, what agency deserves more infrastructure support and, and, and rehab than, than MedTech and the FDA after the past year we've had? I think it's demonstrated. Yeah. We need to be investing in med tech. We need to make sure the supply is good. We need to be investing in healthcare. We need to make sure our systems are in no, place. I mean, we're all talking about building roads and what, but uh, 
the uh, the the pandemic really pushed our limit to the max in, in many, many ways. So this should be a time where we're investing. So we really realized, uh, you know, where we uh, you needed to have more investments and needed to boost things because, yeah, we got hit with this pandemic and we were like, wow, we we need more healthcare. We need, you know, innovations and, you know, you know devices and vaccines. And, you know, it, it definitely was uh, we, we spent a lot of money along the way, but it was definitely an effort. And the uh, next time we have a you know, some kind of health emergency, it'd be good to, to have more of, as you, as you describe it, more of that infrastructure and in, in place. Exactly. So the, the honorable, honorable member from mass device and the honorable member from device talks, uh, we vote in favor of, of this, uh, of this request. So I <laughs> <laughs> let us move down the line. Number four on the new market. Number, number four on the list. We've got uh, Abiumed um, is uh, buying precardia. Um, which uh, they're they're a St. Paul based company that's got a, a catheter based uh, system uh, that you know treats acute decompensated heart failure. So you know, Abbey Med officials are saying this is just like another deal that'll like complement their uh, company's product portfolio. So Abbey Med picking up some uh, some extra technology this week. Yeah, okay, and once again, we'll uh, we'll love someday to get uh, CEO Mike Minogue on on the podcast. We'll keep keep trying. He'll be uh, taking over at Abbey for Kevin Lobo, if he already hasn't done so, doesn't do they do that at the annual meeting? It's in the fall, or they do that in the spring. But anyway, he's the incoming chairman of Advomen. So big news. So yeah, let's. Uh, it'd be good to. Yeah, maybe he can come on and talk about the precaria deal. That'll be that'll be cool. awesome. All right, number three. Awesome. Number three on the new Marcus Newsmakers list. Well, I number three on the list. Do you want to hear the the bad news or the good news first? I'm a bad news first kind of guy, Chris. Yeah, well, you know, Abbott uh, had to cut its earnings outlook, which caused them to get a stock hit this week. Mm. Um, but but um, the good news is it's because um, they, they don't think they're going to be selling as many tests because okay. we're right. crawling out of this pandemic. So, um, you know, that's uh, that's actually good news. So good news for the world, you know, like, um, you know, like a little bit tougher for Abbott. But, you know, they, um, you know, they also pointed out that, um, you know, they're, uh, they're organic you know, base business growth is accelerating. So, I mean, so, you know, even as, uh, so, so, you know, like the, the more quote unquote normal things they might've been selling uh, before the pandemic, that's, uh, that's picking up now. So, I mean, I think, I think uh, it sounds like Abbott's just fine over there. And as we'll, it'll reflect in the number one new Marcus Newsmakers, Abbott will be picking up uh, some business in, in another yes. area. So that's a more sadder thing. We'll get to that. Yeah. Later. All right. Let us roll on to the big number two on new Marcus Newsmakers list. You know, number two on the list. I mean, just a few months ago, Medtronic veteran uh, Mike Coyle left to take over uh, iRhythm, which is, you know, has this kind of like, you know, uh, wearable, you know, heart rhythm monitoring tech that, you know, is, you know, supposed to be a big improvement over the traditional holder monitors. Um, you, you, we had him on yep. here. We had him here on device talks uh, weekly. And, uh, now, now he's resigned. He's resigned due to personal matters. Um, so, uh, like, and it was a pretty immediate announcement. Um, I mean, it looks like he's going to be, uh, you know, sticking around to, uh, consult, but, you know, CFO, Douglas Devine is now an interim CEO as the uh, CEO search for iRhythm begins immediately. Right. Well, you and I, when we heard the news, we called each other up. I, well, I called you, you called me, one, one or the other. We didn't call each other, but uh, and, and sort of bounced off possible scenarios. It's certainly the kind of news that leads to, to guessing and speculation. And yeah. uh, rather than have us do that, 
Well, we're going to hear from uh, Kayla Crum of Truer Security. She issued a note pretty soon after the news. And uh, I know she had been a, a fan of, uh, of Coil and of, of iRhythm. So uh, let's hear what she has to say about this, uh, this disappointing news because Mike Coyle's a, a good med tech guy. Well, Kayla Crum, welcome back to the podcast. Always a pleasure to, to connect with you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for taking the time. It's been a busy week. Two big stories kind of uh, came, well, I don't know if completely out of nowhere, but they were certainly, uh, the timing was surprising. Uh, we'll hit upon them uh, separately. The first that came down the pikes, and we'll just take them in chronologically chronological order, was uh, Mike Coyle uh, deciding that uh, he would be leaving iRhythm. Uh, I noticed on your, your note that you sent out, you said right at the top that the, the resignation took us by surprise. So talk to us a little bit about what happened after you, you, you heard the news. You had a, a call with the company? Yeah, uh, never a dull moment with this one. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I, I read them announced that that Mike Coyle resigned, unfortunately, and and Tuesday was his last day at the company. So it was a pretty quick quick turnaround from wow. from the news. Um, you know, and, and it said it in the press release. We we had a conversation with the company. There 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 were some personal matters battling for for Mike's time and his focus right now. Um, so so the company CFO will be taken taken on the interim CEO role just until they they hire a full time replacement. Um, so. I'm sad to see see Mike go. I think his his experience. Um, I know you you've spoken with Mike as well. I think his experience is is nearly unmatched in the cardiovascular yeah. space. Um, but he's leaving behind a, a really strong bench of, of leadership. With of course, you know Doug and also uh, their their EVP of strategy corp dev and IR Dan Wilson. He's really well liked by investors. Really good guy. Very strategic, um, high level thinking. So at least he's leaving leaving a strong bench behind. So I mean, the, the company obviously uh, hit some some roadblocks or speed bumps or whatever obstacles come in your way these days uh, after Mike had joined as CEO in terms of the the changes to reimburse with the reductions in reimbursement. So when this news comes down the pike, you're first led to wonder if, if, if it was just uh, Mike sort of deciding to leave. And I don't want to go too deep down speculative lane, but uh, in your conversation, uh, again, you walked away with the understanding that this was not that, that this was something else. Yeah, a lot of, of investors, and I think it's a great question. A lot of investors are asking, you know, whether or not Coyle's departure is a signal of, of anything negative or new on the reimbursement front. And again, we, we, we've had conversations with them. They've very clearly said there's been, you know, no notable developments since the earnings call in early May. Uh, you know, it sounds like everything operationally is still going really well. You know, volume trends are are seeing really healthy trends year to date. Management went went out of their way to affirm its second quarter volume guidance. So, you know, again, trends on, on that front are still really positive. But yes, reimbursement is still a, a big focus for for investors. So we're hopeful we can get some more clarity on on this topic over the next couple of months. And you and you walked away from that conversation again with with a with the uh, the understanding that that this was something that Mike had to deal with separately. This was not an I rhythm issue. Exactly. Yes, yeah. um, I, I did leave with uh, uh, with that clarity. Uh, so that the last uh, question for for I, about I rhythm is just. Um, this is a, a unique situation. Uh, you have a, a high-profile company that had a new CEO that's moved on, that's facing some challenges. I'm, I'm trying to figure out whether this will be a, a, an easy role to fill because there's a lot of upside here, 
or with whether they'll have a hard time recruiting a, a top tier CEO like like a, a Mike Coyle type to uh, to take his place. It's going to be tough to to match. I think Mike's level level of experience, but I think as as I look at at this story, I do think that there is a lot of potential good news ahead. You know, it, again, in part, it's it's the volumes trending in the right direction. It's it's new product launches coming. You know, they they've announced that they have new products in the pipeline. You know, there's updates coming in, in the asymptomatic population. So that's you know that that's a, a new incremental market opportunity for them. So I mean, I look at the stock here down almost 70% year to date, and, mm-hmm. and I say it's probably a lot more likely to be higher than lower in the next six to 12 months. Um, so I, it, from my standpoint, it's, it's, a, it's a good time to, you know, for, for someone to step in and, and think, about, uh, think about things really, really strategically. Now, is it going to be easy? Again, reimbursement is still, there's still a lot of questions around reimbursement. It's going to be something that, that you know, management's going to have to uh, have to manage through um, going forward. And again, hopefully we'll get a little bit more more clarity on the topic over the next couple of months. Oh, that's great. Now, it certainly would be, I think, a resume builder for someone who, uh, if, if they're able to come in and, and turn it around, that'd be uh, quite an accomplishment to have on your CV. Hey, Device Talkers. On June 8th, we're going to have a Device Talks Tuesdays presentation by Elkham. I've got a quick uh, conversation with Mike Goglia. Mike's the regional market manager in the Americas for Elkham Silicones. And the topic of the conversation is solving medtech's challenges using medical grade silicone. So I asked Mike what the webinar will look like. Let's listen. The way we have the webinar broken out, it'll be three separate sections that discuss real case studies that that are real life situations that occurred with our customers. Mm -hmm. And uh, we truly try to have a consultative approach when we we deal with our customer base. You know, they might be looking for one solution, but uh, we we could have other options to offer them. Uh, So the first case study we'll go into would be, uh, it's, it's around a global company that we, we have a relationship with that was looking to transfer technologies to another site. Uh, so we were able to, to tweak our formulations and uh, actually make a better product for them in the end that, that worked in both of their locations. Uh, the second one was a, a customer had come to us with a problem uh, looking for a better adhesive for one of their medical devices. Uh, they were leaning in one direction, and uh, we actually steered them in another direction that, that fit within their current manufacturing process mm-hmm. and actually gave them a, a much faster cure time and much faster cycle time within their processing. And then the, the last bit we'll go into is uh, more of an example about how we deal with our customers on the regulatory side with a medical device. Obviously, it's an ever-changing environment for our customer base, and we try to have expertise throughout the the different zones we deal in, whether it be you know the Americas, uh, Asia Pac, or Europe. And uh, you know we have toxicologists on staff, we have regulatory personnel on staff. Okay, it's going to be a great conversation. Join us on June eighth at eleven a.m. It's going to be a special time, eleven a.m. on June eighth. Go to devicetalks.com to register. All right, it was great to hear from Kayla Crum, Chris. Now let's go. Number one. Let's go number the number one on the one list. Market. You said it before I did. You took the words right out of my mouth. Here we go. Number one on the list. And uh, this, this is really, uh, really tough. Yeah. News. It's, uh, the, yeah, I mean, Medtronic is uh, stopping sales of its uh, HVAD system. Um, and this uh, this comes after, uh, you know, after, you know, several clinical comparisons that found, uh, you know, higher frequency of, you uh, neurological adverse events like stroke and mortality. And uh, Medtronic has been wrestling some 
with uh, some various issues around the HVAD uh, in, in recent months, um, including like a, a recall that uh, ha- that involved 855 complaints and eight injuries, and that was over like the device's ports. Um, so you know that it's just uh, yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're stopping the sales, they're stopping the distribution, um, you know, they're setting up a monitoring program for those who already have the uh, devices implanted. And uh, yeah, just, a, you know, like a, a major uh, device in the space being pulled from the market. Um, the, you know, the flip side, as you're saying, like Abbott is one of the other really big players in that space. And, you know, they didn't waste time um, putting out their own, their own statement saying that they were, you know, they had the capacity to support growing demand in the space with their uh, HeartMate 3 heart pumps. So it's kind of like, um, you know, Abbott's really, uh, you know, kind of uh, stepping up here. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, there's a need for it. So I'm sure it's, uh, I, I, it's, a, it's certainly a, um, it's not a, not a decision that, that I'm familiar with. Uh, and I'm not really sure how it works, but I think it's, it's good to ensure that there's, there are options available for, for people who, who need this. So it's good that, uh, well, you know, it struck me too, that I know, um, I mean, the, the quote they had in the news release from, you know, the head of their medical circulatory support business always said like, you know, like mentioned the, you know, the Medtronic mission and, you know, I think commitment to safety and, you know, they, they've in the past, I mean, they had a, uh, I, I remember we had a, a talk at, one of our actual real device talks weekly shows in the past where we had a someone going on the history of the recall of the Fidelis leads and their founder Earl Bakken back then was like, you know, he, he was going to take the biggest monetary hit over it was like, you know what, it's that's the right thing to mm-hmm. do. You know, people, people are in danger. And, you know, it looks like they're making a similar type of decision here. They're, they just finally looked at stuff and said, you know what, we gotta, we gotta stop the sales of this because, and, and my sense has always been that, these types of pumps, I mean, I kind of lump them in with insulin pumps and other types of equipment that are, you know, it's like they, they, they perform a really important role, but if something goes wrong, it just usually goes, goes really wrong. Right, right. Well, this is another opportunity that we have to bring in Kayla Crum of Truer Securities. Kayla also issued a uh, advisory about the uh, the Metrotic News. So uh, let's hear from, from Kayla Crum. I had a short interview with her about hardware as well. How surprising was this to, to Wall Street? Yeah, I, I would say, um, so you're right. I mean, Medtronic announced it's it's no longer going to sell its, its HVAD system. You know, they're, they're talking about how, you know, their, their device could cause higher sort of adverse events like, like stroke, mortality compared to other devices. I mean, th- those risks and those concerns, in, in my mind, they're not new. I mean, Medtronic has, has or, or had issued an urgent medical device communication in the past. So they've mm-hmm. talked about some of these issues before, but this, the decision is a big one it, to discontinue the sale of, of this device. You know, it's implanted in, in around 4,000 people today. And you also consider, you know, this was more than a billion dollar acquisition for, for Medtronic five years ago or, mm-hmm. or so. So yeah, I, I think that they handled the situation really well, but but yeah, I'm sure that this was this was a tough sort of internal um, conversation for them to have. So, what does this mean for it, its bottom line? I think you pointed out that uh, it was less than one percent. The 141 million in revenue for fiscal year 2021 accounts for less than a percent of total company revenue. So, it was a growing business, uh, but Medtronic is, is all about growth uh, and, and and getting even bigger. Uh, how does this impact that? In the grand scheme of things, I actually think that that this step will make the company better over time. I mean, mm-hmm. this, as you mentioned, the product's less than 1% of total company revenue. Financial impact is going to be 
pretty minimal. Um, it's early to say whether or not this decision could have a halo effect on other products in the cardiovascular portfolio. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, by doing the right thing for the patient, I think that should help their their reputation in the clinical community. And, and I do think that that, that matters, um, which, you know, they're taking a long-term approach on this. So where, do, where does Wall Street look to see that or find that growth going forward? What, where, where are the, the hopes being hung on or what are the hopes being hung on? We're certainly, I mean, you know, we're looking forward to, to all of these COVID headwinds and winding mm-hmm, um, for sure. in the second part of this year. And and there are several sort of tangible new product catalysts ahead. You know, people are getting excited about, about robotics. People are getting excited about, about RDN. It's, it's a little bit further out, but I mean, robotics... I mean, robotics will start to contribute this year. You know, it's, it's starting to, to contribute, started to contribute in the most recent quarter internationally, um, albeit modest. But, you know, for the full year, you know, this full fiscal year, they're expecting 50 to 100 million in sales. And, and that could be, you know, double or triple the size in the following year. So these are all, you know, could be potential needle movers for, for the company, again, o- over time. And I'm not sure, I didn't check before I, we started talking. Do you cover Abbott as well? Um, I, I do not, um, I I don't cover, but, but uh, Abbott has obviously stepped up and said they can, they can, uh, they'll be available and able to supply hopefully the, the implants, the HVADs that are necessary. Uh, I guess my, uh, I don't want to speak. Yeah. I know you can't speak to Abbott specifically, but I guess it sounds as if the, the med tech sector and other companies will be able to, to meet the, the demand for these devices. Yeah, I I think again, I mean, Medtronic is is putting patients first and basically saying go to our competitor Abbott yep. for this product because um, it's it's the right one for your patient. So um, I, I definitely think that Abbott will will, will take advantage of, of the situation and and again kind of do do right by the healthcare system. And and how do you look at and how does Wall Street look at the four thousand patients that currently have the HVADs? Uh, is there a concern about future litigation or anything like anything like that? Uh, is there something that needs to be managed down downstream? You know, I mean, at at, at this point, it's, it, I guess it's tough to say. I think Medtronic has said they're going to continue to to support those patients. You know, they they've worked with a group of, of clinician advisors to develop recommendations to reduce risk for for those patients. Um, uh, and they've also talked about, you know, potential financial incentives for, um, for for these patients, for their caregivers. So, I mean, I, again, I think they're managing it in the right way. They're being transparent with folks. It, it, so at this point, you know, I feel feel pretty comfortable that uh, that, again, they're, they're doing this uh, the right way. Great thoughts, Kayla. Thanks for uh, for joining us again on the podcast. We look forward to having you again in the future. Right. Thanks again for having me. All right, Chris, it was great to hear from Kayla Crum of Truist. Great to have her insights on the New Markers Newsmakers. And you are pulling double duty this week. You're also, uh, you've got an interview that we're going to be running right now with. That's right. On top of churning out all this news. You I are also... amazing. Who is your guest this week, Chris? I'm just a machine this week, man. <laughs> that's, when I, that's, what I, that, that's what happens when I, you know, start drinking extra coffee, you know. But, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, I did an interview with Laura Rector. She's the uh, VP of Ambulatory Surgery Center Strategy and digital health at, uh, at Smith and nephew and, uh, Smith and nephew has been upping what they're doing around the whole like digital ecosystem they put around their orthopedic implants. And I had a, a good talk with her about, uh, you know, some of their latest developments in their strategy and, and what they're doing. Cool. cool. So if, you, if you're wondering where Smith and nephew is going in the space, here we go. Awesome. Well, it's a, it's a great interview, great conversation and really presents sort of a, a different approach than, uh, some others in the ortho space. So, uh, let's hear this interview with Laura Rector of Smith and nephew. 
So it's been a month since Smith & Nephew launched the Aria Home PT. It's a telehealth device that provides interactive physical therapy remotely to a person's home. It's part of the overall Aria digital platform that Smith & Nephew introduced last year. Laura Rector is a Smith & Nephew executive who's helping to manage the launch of the new product. Uh, Laura is VP of Ambulatory Surgery Center Strategy and Digital Health at Smith & Nephew. Uh, Laura, welcome to Device Talks Weekly and Mass Device. Well, thanks, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Hey, so, you know, to start out, whenever I, you know, interview somebody, I always check their LinkedIn profile to see what they've done in the past. You know, I saw like, I mean, you've, you've worked for, you know, some pretty prestigious companies in the past, such as, you know, Wright Medical, which is now acquired by a striker. I know you just joined Smith and Nephew in 2019, right before all this stuff was uh, getting launched. So, I mean, what, what got you to take the leap? I mean, what got you to join SNN? Can I call it SNN? Is that? I think that works. Cool. Yeah, I, I came here, uh, actually, my two-year anniversary is coming up. I was brought here by uh, Skip Kill, who's the president of our recon business, to really take a look at the ASC market, the Ambulatory Surgery Center market, and look at how we address it as an orthopedic company in a, in a leadership way. And I came here for that opportunity. It's super exciting. I don't know how much you know about the ambulatory surgery center market, but it's growing massively quickly. It presents an opportunity to do things differently. It's a big trend, right? I mean, yeah, huge. Like the fact, I mean, with the fact that we've got all these like surgeries, you used to have to go to the hospital and you'd be stuck for days in the hospital. And now you're getting these ambulatory surgery centers where you can come in and out, you know, get a procedure, you know, get home. Yeah, absolutely. And patients are definitely driving that trend. Uh, it's a different environment. I mean, just because you need to have a total joint procedure doesn't mean that you're sick. Uh, sick people go to hospitals uh, and, and people who need to have their joints uh, replaced don't necessarily need to go to a hospital. So if they're appropriate for an ambulatory surgery center, uh, they're choosing it. So patients are driving that a, a lot. And also I'd say payers, it's a less, a more cost-effective way to do these surgeries on healthier patients. Right. Yeah. So um, it's about 40% less expensive to do that in the ASC. So the trends are by 20, I think it is 2025, 50% of all total joint procedures will be done in the ASC environment. I mean, ambulatory surgery centers definitely seem like a win for, for everybody. So, I mean, how does, you know, the RAPT fit into this? Yeah. So we took a step back. It's one, one piece of it, right? Uh, obviously with the growth and outpatient total joint procedures, um, with the movement that we've just talked about going from the hospital to the ASC and that kind of being a, a really strong and accelerated trend, by the way, um, with COVID, it's just accelerated that trend Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Digital health is is kind of one of the ways uh, that we've identified a few years ago that we could serve the ASC market in a different and better way. So obviously we make um, implants, we we make uh, hip and knee implants, we're a medical device company, but our customers moving from the hospital to the ASC have greater needs. Uh, In a hospital setting, a surgeon is taken well care of and the systems are, are set up and in place. But in an ASC, they have new needs and pain points that we felt uh, we could serve. So when we studied what was happening and all these trends, it led us to digital health. And that's uh, our products that you mentioned, Aria and Aria Home PT. So two two distinct different products, but digital health management platform, uh, which is designed to connect that whole delivery of care experience through the whole episode uh, of the the outpatient um, procedure and the patient care. Right. You're not just sending somebody home after they get a knee replacement and like wishing them well, like you're right. 
In fact, we're actually thinking about them before they have surgery. Wow. So with our digital connected experience, we're looking at pre, pre-surgery and what can we do for the patient and what can we do for our surgeons to help support that value-based care uh, idea. So we're actually invested in this digital health technology, ARIA and ARIA Home PT, which looks at the patient and says, how can we support you and perhaps not having to have surgery? right? Is there a way that we can work with you with our home PT device, our remote care device to strengthen uh, the muscles, the tendons, whatever needs to be strengthened and possibly avoid surgery. And if they can't, then we have this whole system of care uh, to help them to surgery, through surgery, and then the ARIA home PT, which is the remote uh, physical therapy in their home on their own time. So we're looking at that whole continuum of care for the patient from pain to recovery. And at Smith and Nephew, we call it life unlimited, getting the patient back to the things that they love to do, whether it be gardening or swimming or, you know, marathon running. Um, The point of getting a new joint is to be able to get past that pain and get back to your life. The life. I mean, you know, I've, I've written stories about, you know, other you know, telehealth products and the ortho physical rehab space. I mean, for example, like Zimmer Biomed has its my mobility. I mean, what, I mean, what kind of edge does, you know, ARIA and the, and the ARIA PT have in this space? Sure. Uh, we, we think it has, uh, we've designed it with very distinct differences. One is it's built for the ASC. It's built for independent oh. surgeons or these ASC centers. Um, it's the only product that provides the total automation of streamlined activities that impact that whole episode of care that I was just talking about. Things like helping them select the right patient or enabling end-to-end patient education, communications throughout the process, um, tracking that patient and helping with the referrals to providers to help keep the patient engaged and satisfied, changing completely that patient experience. Um, I don't, we've all kind of either been through a surgery or know someone who's been through a surgery and it's somewhat of a disconnected experience, right? Um, How you get to your surgeon is convoluted and how once you leave your surgeon, what happens um, is a little disconnected. So having this digital asset connect those pieces um, helping manage these patients through that process, managing their exceptions, standardizing the care, more closely watching, you know, what kind of care they have and enabling that surgeon to see the care that they're they're getting and red flags when they arise, you know, being able to manage those situations, um, collecting data, which is really important right, right now, um, having that data to understand the outcomes of the patients and, you know, managing costs and improving compliance to, to care, all these kinds of things are, are what digital health can do and what we're focused on. I think some of these other solutions that you mentioned aren't as comprehensive, uh, haven't done the deep dive uh, to, to really understand what the pain points and needs are, not only for surgeons, but patients, and then address those pain points, which we think ARIA and our digital health solution does for, for every customer in, in that stream. And, you know, administrators, whether it be care navigators, um, previously, we just really looked at the surgeon needs with an implant, but this product really addresses, you know, all of the, the customers in this 
whole uh, care pathway and provides ways to improve efficiencies, address uh, lowering cost, improve outcomes, capture the data along the way, right? And, uh, and these kinds of things. I always thought it's a wild disconnect in medtech. The fact that I mean, you're building things for you know the actual you know people who you know need the devices or the implants, but you know the customers are are the health providers or, or the surgeons. But I mean, yeah. this kind of seems like a, like a case where. You know, you can actually like, you know, this digital ecosystem kind of as they move to these ambulatory surgery centers, I mean, they want, you know, to really like up the care. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and so it's it's giving you a, a chance to really step in and, um, you know, really, as you said, kind of like follow follow the patients before, follow them after, really try to, you know, improve the outcomes here. It's 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 not only the outcome, but the experience too. Right. And and our patients. Patients are our customer ultimately, right? The, the right. implant is in your patient and getting them back to life unlimited is our goal. So the patient is the ultimate customer. And when you look at it that way, you see beyond just that surgical episode of providing an implant and say, what can we do? I'm uh, vice president over what we call positive connections. And that's our whole business area that focuses on everything that supports patients, uh, our ultimate customer surgeons and payers even um, through that whole surgical value-based medicine process. So taking a step back and saying beyond the implant, what can we do to provide better care and better outcomes? And and that's kind of what we're focused on and where digital health has has led us uh, to the best way we think to to bring that connected care experience to to look out. You know, when you mentioned payers, I mean that's the other piece of the puzzle. The fact that like Medicare has been kind of pushing toward more bundled payments and you know and, and kind of like creating incentives for you know these these new ambulatory surgery centers to you know follow you know to kind of like support the patient through you know the whole episode of, of care, as you said. So I mean, it's 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 kind of there's I mean that that's playing a role in that as well, right? Absolutely. ARIA has a component, which we call site select, and that's a tool to help guide surgery procedure location for hip and knee patients. Uh, it's, are they a better patient for the hospital or a better patient for the ambulatory surgery center? And that tool helps uh, inclusion or exclusion, you know, guidelines to help with that. Payers definitely have an incentive to want to see patients go to the outpatient setting. It's 40% less cost for them to have a patient in the ASC than the hospital. But it isn't always appropriate for that patient to be in the ASC just because it's a lower cost site. Right. Uh, they might not be appropriate. So we help with that uh, with our tool that that puts the guidelines in there and allows the surgeons to customize and um, and and have a way to guide them either in or out hospital or ASC. So yes, it does. That's great. Uh, I mean. You know, we're, we're, we're talking on a podcast right now, so people can't see what this RAPT looks like. But I mean, it's kind of, um, you know, I'll, I'll make sure to include a picture with, uh, you know, with the uh, story we uh, run with the podcast, but and, you know, as well as what we're posting online. But I mean, it kind of looks like, I mean, like a flat screen with a camera. I mean, it kind of reminds yeah. me a bit like a Amazon Echo show, except it's kind of like, is it was a gray or white? I mean, it, it looks it looks apple-y, you know, like a little. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a grayish white box. The Aria Home PT device. Yeah, the uh, Aria is just a, so- it's a software solution. That's that's just the whole software on the cloud. Yeah, but yeah, the, 
the, the PTs, what um, are, is this something that's just getting bought for the patient or is this something that surgery center lends to them um, to take home? It, it would, it would come to them, right? So before they have surgery, the device would be in their home so they could have it ready when they come home from surgery, number one, and uh, it is in their home. So it's ready for them to do their physical therapy in home on their own time, which is really the, the, the point of it. It's got a great NPS um, measurement actually better better than iPhones. Wow. Uh, so ease of use functionality is, is super easy. It's over 90%, which is better than a, an Apple iPhone. So wow. that's saying a lot. And because it's so easy to use, it, well, it has to be the, the patient base in large part is over 70 years old and right. average, right? So you need to make it technology friendly enough that they will use it. And so the cool thing is the guide um, that we're looking at is compliance, right? So that's the biggest bane in, in healthcare is how do you get a patient to be more compliant. One, you put a device in their home because the overall kind of numbers, 65% of patients adhere to their prescribed PT. Sounds sounds pretty good, right? Uh, Until you realize that with ARIA, uh, it's uh, 88.3%. So the compliance rate is much, much higher. It's a 35% increase. So being able to do it in their home on their own time through a device that's super simple to use is kind of a key to getting people back to that life unlimited we talked about and and increasing compliance rates. Patients love it. The patient satisfaction on the product is greater than 80%, which is a lot for technology and for that age group of people who are um, interacting and using that product. Yeah, I I saw with the news release, uh, it it appeared it was out of Duke University to a a randomized uh, control type. Yeah. Trial. I mean, there's some pretty positive results with that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Part of it is what we were talking about here with this uh, compliance rate. I mean, that's that's a, a big a big part of it. Um, also, it helps with the efficiencies uh, in, in the office, you know, or, on how they manage these patients. So it's um, it's a it's a great a great tool. I mean, like the key is that it's easy to use that um, it's not a replacement for physical therapy, but an en- enhancement to it allows them to do it, like I mentioned, on their own time in their own home. Um, and um, it also tracks 25 different uh, joints in the body. So the PT can go in and actually look at the video of the patient doing, doing their um, physical therapy. And they can look at all the outcomes and results of how much frequency and time they use the, the device, how many repetitions they did, how well they did on those repetitions. So, uh, and wow. also the biomechanics of uh, how, 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 you know, how much they're improving over time, right? So all of this data, because it's a data-based digital uh, product as well, um, is something that they can now have that they wouldn't have had just from an interaction in the office. And then- are, are- Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you getting some machine learning, some AI involved? You know, Absolutely. With this? Yeah. yeah, we have uh, we have uh, AI learning in, involved in this product. So, um, you know, it, it learns from the patients and uh, can provide you know, them feedback. Like, for example, they stand in a zone uh, and it's identified and so they can track all the body motions. And when they get out of alignment, it stops them and says, you need to bring your knee back. It's too much forward and, and kind of recorrects and teaches them. The um, avatar, Aria, she, uh, she's so likable that the patients don't want to send the product back. 
<laughs> they want to keep it. Oh, wow. And, and interact with her. So um, they really like her. <laughs> a, lot, a lot better than a, a company that had a paper club a long time ago. It's, it's, uh, it's more popular than <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. I would say that some of the other ways it, it helps is um, beyond the exercise that we've been talking about. It helps educate the patients with videos. You can do telehealth through the unit. So if you just want to interact with your physical therapist, um, you can do that. And uh, it collects uh, data while it's um, while it's um, in, in action with the patient. So it sounds like there still would be some like, especially now that we're like, knock on wood, like getting out of COVID, um, you know, there still will be like some going in to see a physical therapist, but this could supplement a lot of it. And, and that's exactly what it's meant to be is a supplement to the physical therapist. I mean, there's a reality that there's a shortage of physical therapists. Number one, there's about 27,000 shortage of physical therapists out there. So what that means is the access to care isn't necessarily there for everyone, especially if you're coming from a remote area to have your surgery and then going back home and there is no physical therapist near you. How, how do you how do you get that aftercare to get you back to that life unlimited? Right. So having this remote care device enhances that they can meet, you know, up front with their physical therapist. They can meet through telehealth with their fellow uh, physical therapists, and then they can do all the actions and activities prompted through the Aria Home PT unit to to get that. And then knowing that the compliance rates are higher, you're not sacrificing quality by just being in your home and doing it on your own time. In fact, people are more apt to do their therapy when it's um, easy like that. So, okay. I, this is, this is probably a silly question, but um, there's, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, consumer devices out there now that, I mean, that have, have a screen, they have audio, they have a camera. Why couldn't you just piggyback off one of those? Yeah, so the, what really makes Aria Home PT special is that it's got a 3D camera. And a lot of the technologies out there that you're talking about don't have that. Gotcha. So what our technology does is it captures that whole 3D image. It, it can capture the biomechanics. It has AI learning in, in it, and it and it gives feedback in real time of whether they're, they're doing the exercises right or not. So th- I think that's the difference is yeah. the 3D capability. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So that, that really like kind of upset the fact that there's that, that 3D camera in there and, and the fact that it sounds yeah. like very intelligent, like you could be doing a, a physical therapy routine and, you know, the device will actually say, no, you, like you're, you're not doing it correctly because it's tracking your movements. And absolutely. That, that's, that, yep. that's, that's really wild. That's uh, so, okay. So I, I'm just going to like pivot over a little. I mean, one really big story in the ortho space I've been covering is that, you know, we're going to be seeing, you know, the launch of, uh, you know, the ortho tech space says, you know, first smart knee implant later this year. I mean, Zimmer Biomet's mm-hmm. rolling it out. Striker's looking to catch up. I mean, from your standpoint, I mean, what does Smith and Nephew do, do with all this? Or is it is it needed? Do we need to get that high tech? Like, oh, we're going to have a, you know, a, a knee implant with, sensors that talks to a box i mean what uh i mean what where where do you see the company with this sure i mean we're always looking at all the technology that's out there and we we think in this space in the digital health space we're definitely ahead of our competitors they have not put the time uh focus or energy into something so comprehensive like we have so we feel like technology definitely is a, a good investment. We're looking at all those same things, obviously, that other companies are to improve your implants. There's all kinds of things out there, wearables, there's devices that help with um, 
you know, infection and pain control and things like that, which I think are very up and coming um, and wearables that give you feedback and data and collect information. What you're talking about are things that are actually in the implants. There are technologies that look at infection inside the knee as well, you know, from sensors and things like that. So it is the future. Technology is the wave of the future. And an implant is not just an implant. Um, It's the coatings that you put on it. We have uh, Oxinium, you know, which is a coating that we put on our knee products, which has the greatest longevity in the marketplace um, uh, data behind it showing a a 30 30 year knee uh, or, you know, with that coating, a a hip even with Oxinium. So, you know, technology is, 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 and has always been the key to these devices and, um, how well a patient does post-surgery. Some of them come and go that, you know, the, the technology stay, they have relevance and others, um, not, I guess we'll see yeah. right? it, who, who's placed the, the best bet in the right, uh, place for, for our needs, for the ASC, we feel like helping them manage this patient from the total experience, the total episode of care in improving that patient experience, improving their ability to get better compliance after surgery, you know, to have access to healthcare and, and physical therapy. That's our route, right? It uh, doesn't yeah. mean that we won't be taking these other, other routes as well. We're looking at everything um, because our goal is to be the fastest growing, most innovative orthopedic company uh, out there. And our focus on digital health is one of the ways uh, that we're getting there. That's great. Well, Laura, thanks for coming on. Well, hey, thanks for having me. I, and I appreciate you giving us the time and, and having interest in what we're doing over here. All right, Chris Newmarker, the end is near. This is our time <laughs> to request <Yeah>. further followers <laughs> on the massive social media machine. So how can folks find you on the social media? The end may be near, but you can find me in the after podcast life. Uh, <laughs> Chris Newmarker on LinkedIn, just like a Newmarker. I'm also on Twitter at Newmarker. Awesome. And I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm also on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. Please uh, use those uh, those tags to uh, to connect with us when you do share this episode, this podcast episode on your own social media channels. Chris and I would enjoy being part of that conversation. And uh, please like, follow, subscribe. <laughs> please do subscribe to this podcast on uh, any major podcast channel, Amazon, Google, Spotify. We got the Apple. We got them all. So uh, please. Now that stuff's opening up, if you want to get a sandwich board and head down to downtown Minneapolis or Boston, you know, yeah, like, yeah, do that too. I think that's that's yeah. that's a very good use of our time for sure. Oh, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking of getting some of our listeners to do that. Oh like, yeah, uh, no, yeah, we'll uh, see what they can do. Please reach reach out to us on those social media channels if you want to if you want to you know run ads for for the podcast. Tom's got a sandwich board in his office, you know, like just just. Head over there. He'll he'll hook you up. It'll be good. That'd be great to have their support. But uh, please do share this podcast on your social media channels. Please Please do subscribe. And of course, please do tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast waiting for you. Take care. Get vaccinated soon.